I feel like everybody in the program after freshman year, they wanted it to be like good. Like nobody had the mindset that they wanted to mess around. This is High Tech High Unboxed. I'm Alec Patton, and that was Simon, who was part of the first group of students ever to do project-based learning, or PBL, at Cheltenham High School. This is the fourth episode in our series about Cheltenham School District's mission to bring PBL to the high school, a 135-year-old public school just outside Philadelphia. If you're just joining us, I recommend that you start with episode one. You can find a link to the full series in the show notes. In the most recent episode, you heard about the program's first year, when three teachers and 62 ninth graders pretty much figured out how to do project-based learning together. Most of this episode is about what those students did when they went to 10th grade, and what those teachers did when they got a new group of ninth graders. At the end, we'll also get into what the administrators, teachers, and students learned from the first two and a half years of the program. And that will bring us up to the beginning of 2020, when all these interviews were recorded. In March 2020, of course, everyone went into lockdown, and it just felt too weird to publish a series where kids and adults talked about being in classrooms together like it was no big deal. So this story has been a long time coming, but it needs a little more to bring it up to date. So in our next episode, the series finale, we're bringing together a bunch of folks from these episodes to talk about what happened to PBL when the school moved online and what's happening now. Now back to year two of Cheltenham's PBL program, which is to say the autumn of 2018. For Simon, coming into sophomore year, it was clear that the 10th grade teachers had learned from what happened the previous year. I wouldn't say that there were more rules or anything like that, but the projects, they were kind of managed more like organized. Like in freshman year, we started a lot of projects and we meant to make them go really far and then we would kind of just like finish them really fast or not even finish them and then start another project. So the structure like in the actual program was definitely there. We finished every project we started and uh, it felt more consistent. To find out how the teachers managed to do that, I talked to Linsa Sunny, who taught 10th grade chemistry. You heard from Linsa in the last episode. She was officially part of the original PBL team along with the 9th grade teachers, with the idea that joining the team at the start would give her an extra year to prepare for when the cohort reached 10th grade. Seeing the challenges of that first year definitely gave her pause. I never like thought, this isn't for me. I just was concerned, like, oh no, like what's going to happen next year? Like, How are we going to fix this or how are we going to figure this out? Um, and I would say like probably by the summer when I really got to know my team members better is when I just felt, oh, okay, this is fine. Like we'll be okay. Cause I just got so comfortable with um, Lindy and Jerome, like very quickly, we clicked very quickly that week that we spent in the summer, we just figured everything out. We had like the first month of school planned almost. We had this awesome first project to launch with. We had our schedule figured out for our four periods. I just felt very comfortable because I could see like, oh, like this is the format that we can establish. And I saw like structure within the projects that we were planning. How did you start the year with the kids? We did a lot of team building. We didn't even like launch our first project within those first two weeks. We just spent a lot of time getting to know our kids and doing a lot of team building activities with them. We wanted to make sure that we focused on building relationships with our kids first. So we spent time like do we did like Chocolate River. We did um, design challenges. We had the kids do empathy interviews with each other. There's just a lot of focus on, oh, we want to get to know you. We're purposely 
trying to figure you out and we're purposely trying to appeal to who you are and what you can become this year. So, so day one, kids walk in, what happens? What do you guys do? We introduced ourselves first. We went through and talked about our personal lives. Um, we spent maybe like 15 minutes each just talking about ourselves. The kids were actually really engaged that day, I remember. Um, they were just interested in learning about us. We just had pictures of our families up. We had pictures of our friends, pictures of our like educational experiences and our personal experiences up on there. We talked a little bit about what we saw at High Tech High, the vision of the program. We told the kids like that first day too, oh, here's our plan for the year. As far as the amount of time you spent on just team building, was that the right amount of time? I think it was um, because I do remember we had started a mini project first, which was based on the the empathy interviews that the kids did with each other. And they had to make a one minute video about a partner that they chose. And I remember like towards the end of that little mini project, they were starting to feel, oh, when are we doing our actual big project? Like, what's going on? We haven't done anything. We haven't done project-based learning yet. And so we were starting to hear that feedback. And we really care about the feedback that our kids give us. But it's not like the top priority, I would say. Like we still knew, okay, like they're expressing their frustration a little bit. But they're going to see our vision at the end. They're gonna, it's going to make sense to them once we launch the project. And so I, I do think it was still the right amount of time, even though we heard a little bit of complaints. Because the since that little mini project kind of it like pointed towards that first big project, the kids started to get it or the kids got it eventually. And it it just made more sense to them. Did that mini project work well? Yes, it did. It was a great way for us to get to know the kids too, because we got to watch a one minute video about each kid that another kid made. So we got to, you know, see the skill level that they were at and also like learn personal information about each child. And it was nice to see how they work together in a big group. So we had 40 kids that year. And a lot of the times during that first mini project, we were just all together um, with the wall down between our two rooms, just all working together during project time. And so that kind of showed us like, we might need to make changes here. This is working well for these groups of kids. This might not work well for these other group of kids, blah, blah, blah. The team had learned from that first ninth grade year, and they were running a tighter ship, which didn't sit well with all the students, according to English teacher Lindy Dubbs. That ninth grade year was really meaningful to the students and very formative to the students. So then when we got them as 10th graders, they had already decided in their minds a very clear definition of this is what PBL is. And um, we had a lot of feedback from administration and from some parents that like, oh, the pendulum had swung too far and it needs more structure or more content. So then the 10th grade team was tasked with reeling it in a little bit. So in our attempts to do that, we got a lot of pushback from the students at first. Um, At one point, I remember a female student standing on her chair and chanting at us, this isn't PBL, this isn't PBL. So it was, um, there was a lot of pushback from the kids probably throughout the whole first marking period because they just wanted it to be exactly how it was their ninth grade year. They didn't want change. 
they didn't want it to be a different way, a new way. But they eventually adapted and they eventually got really into the work and did amazing things with us and for us and for themselves. So what was she objecting to? Structure, really. Just doing things differently. But in spite of the pushback, the structures were working. One of my favorite of these structures is the power team, a structure that goes all the way back to what Linsa says was their most successful team building activity, the Chocolate River. Definitely going outside and doing Chocolate River was like a definite home run for us. And we did the same thing this year too. And again, like that was just great because... What's Chocolate River? Chocolate River is when you're in a team and you have to get from one side of the fake Chocolate River to the other side. But you have, you only can like walk on marshmallows that you're holding. And we use like wooden planks for our marshmallows. Got it. We split up into three teams and we, we were like challenged against each other. And those three teams are our power teams, we call them. So each of us had our own set of power team kids and they stayed with us their whole year. So was a power team like, like why is a what was the difference between a power team and a class? So we have our kids for an extra fourth period um, seminar. And that year, half of them were pulled away during fourth period for health class every other day. So every, every other day, we would have half the kids during fourth period, and we would lose the other half for them to go to health. So then we decided, okay, seminar needs to be like a special thing that's every other day. And since we had only half the kids, then we realized, oh, we can do so much things in small groups with them. So that seminar became what we called power hour. We just wanted to call it something different from what it was called in ninth grade. Yeah. Um, and I, I really, really loved power hour because that gave me a chance to talk to my kids like in small groups. Like we would even just like talk about personal things that were happening to them um, and that was the first time I got to do that as a science teacher, especially because I never get a chance really to do much discussion with kids. So that was awesome for me. And I really enjoyed that. And that group, I grew so close to those kids. They still come by and chit chat with me whenever they can. So you had two groups of 20 kids mm -hmm. and you split each of those groups in three. So you had like a total of... It was either six or seven. So you had a total of 14 kids right. who were in your power group, but only six or seven at one time. Right. And if we did like any big group activities, we would try to split them up in three as much as possible. So then they were in smaller groups for us. The power teams helped to build the community, but what really built up the community was the project. The one that had Linsa so excited when the team planned it in the summer. Our first project was actually the Invisible Americans Project. Back then, it was called the Mirror Project. So the Mirror Project, the two products that the kids have to make were essentially when you put them together, they are supposed to form a mirror. The kids made a mask and a frame. So the, frame, the mask would sit inside the frame and sort of look like a mirror that's reflecting back at you. And they all focused on a disenfranchised group in America. Around the frame, that was more of the social studies piece. The kids had like statements and some research about their disenfranchised groups. And on their mask, they included symbolism that they had taken from their poems that they wrote in English. 
and they had made the mask with me in chemistry class. And we also made mirrors in chemistry class too as like a chemical reaction. We took glass and formed mirrors from it. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was, it was cool stuff. And some of the products came out so beautiful. They're still hanging up in my classroom. I'm like looking at them as I'm talking to you. If you'd drawn up like a list of, I think these kids are going to do really well at the mirror project. These kids are, aren't going to make anything that impressive. Did the way it play out roughly match your expectations or were there kids who really surprised you? And- oh, that's a great question. There were kids that really surprised me actually, because we were still, of course, getting to know them, but also even in their process, it's, it was just very interesting to see like, oh, like your product started off looking like not that great, but your end product, now I see the vision that you were going for. Or it might have been, oh, now I see like you, you tried it a second time and now you got it to where it needs to be. So I was, and since I'm this, I was this, I am the science teacher in this too. I didn't get to see a lot of the background research that they had done too. So it wasn't until the final product that I really saw like who the focus was for each of these kids or which group of Americans was the focus of. And so there were a lot of kids actually that surprised me. I would say maybe like five or six that I at first would have thought, oh no, this isn't going anywhere, but they just came out and it was like such a professional looking product. Why do you think that was? I think it's that artistic piece maybe Um, because when you first, I think the first thing that you see is, oh, the visual appeal of it. And this gave them an opportunity to take what they learned and just make it look really good. And even if somebody's not a superstar in class, it doesn't mean that they don't have a little special talent to express themselves or to share something that they learned in such a beautiful way. And I think that like beauty of the products is what shocked me. How did that beauty come about? Well, I'm assuming a little bit, but I, I think I'm correct. They had this urge or this drive in the beginning to get where they wanted to be at the end. And so they just kept pushing themselves. And some of the kids are just very detailed in their work. And so they knew what they wanted and they just stuck to it and just kept going. One girl in particular, she um, missed the due date, but she just kept going and kept finishing her work because she was really passionate and she wanted it to look beautiful. Like we didn't even, I don't even think we, I didn't penalize her actually, she was in my group. I didn't penalize her for handing it in late because she was working on it the whole time. She just wanted it to be absolutely perfect. After the project, the kids evaluated their own work and discussed it in a one-on-one meeting with their power team teacher. And like anything, reflection was a skill that took time to develop. Yeah, at first it was just definitely things just like, oh, I, I could have done better and like that was it. Or it could have just been like, oh, I'm, I messed up cutting here. It was just very like superficial feedback that we were getting. But I'm so glad that we did it at the beginning because by the time it came to presentation of learning at the end of the year, they were going very deep into their growth and they had learned what we expected for their reflections. Those presentations of learning, or POLs, were the big year-end event for the PBL team. Everything just kind of culminated to those presentations because we had all these artifacts from their projects. Like they could use pictures, they could use videos, and we just had all these files saved on Google Drive and on Google Photos. And the kids just put together presentations. They had to like work on professional speaking. Jerome had his kids dress up professionally to do theirs. And I just loved hearing from each kid and just hearing them talk about you know, their um, shortcomings, their successes, 
And then we just, we got to talk about each kid too within the small group. So after each kid spoke and presented, us as a group sat and gave them feedback on not just their presentation, but how we think their year went like based on our observations. And it was just a really good way for me to like give kids encouragement, just give them like shout outs for what they accomplished in the year. Sometimes it even got emotional. Like it was just, it was just really, it was really awesome. So that's what happened in 10th grade. But what about the new ninth grade team? Here's what Simon saw observing the new freshman from his perspective as an upperclassman. I've seen the freshmen this year and the freshmen mm-hmm. last year, and they're doing a lot better because um, the three teachers, they know exactly how to like handle freshmen now. I asked ninth grade social studies teacher Mike Quaz what changed after that first year. Here's what he told me. So by the second year, they kind of had more of our prep time available, and um, that's when we could you know, at least get started building, building ahead. The common pro, you know, helped a lot. Oh, and and okay. And back to that, how do we survive by the spring? We had in that professional habits structure. Just to clarify, Mike's talking about the spring of the very first year of PBL. That's when the ninth grade team implemented their professional habits. Then they kept them for year two. We went in depth on the professional habits in the previous episode, but for now, here are a couple examples from Mike. Uh, you know, cell phones away, uh, sitting at your desk, eyes on the speaker, all those basic school stuff that, you know, we all know is important to have, right? And interestingly enough with that, the kids responded to it well, meaning they knew by then that that's what they needed. And there's something else that changed after the first year of PBL. English teacher Brian Smith pointed this out to me. After the first year, they had models of student work to show to the new students. You start to have some examples of work that are pretty high quality. And you only can go upward at that point because the next class wants to do better than the previous class. And your models and examples are more impressive. So when students see work that their previous peers have done, they think, A, wow, this can be done. And then B, that little competitive edge kicks in where they think, let's make it even better. When we recorded these interviews at the end of 2019, Cheltenham was in the third year of its PBL program. By then, it had extended down to middle school, so it ran from 7th to 11th grade. The following year, they would add 12th grade. And at any point during that time, Cheltenham could have said, well, that was worth a shot, but it's not getting the results we want, and pulled the plug on this crazy experiment. So I was curious to know why they hadn't. Don't get me wrong, I think this program is awesome. But PBL programs as ambitious as Cheltenham's are still unusual in public education, so it's kind of surprising it's still here. So back in 2019, I asked the people in charge of the district how they could tell the program was working. Here's what the director of secondary education, Charlene Collins, told me she sees in the students who've been through the PBL program. I definitely see them as different people than I saw them as freshmen, like just in terms of their ability to advocate and speak up and communicate and kind of just jump right in and navigate different situations and very independently of their learning space. Um, I've seen that growth in them, and I was like, I'm pleasantly surprised. Like, I'm very happy to see that them develop in that way. I can't say our kids in our traditional program get that. So for me, that was huge. And what about Dr. Wagner Marseille, the superintendent? We haven't heard from him since episode one, when he created this whole experiment with Colin McCarthy. Here's what he had to say when I asked him how he could tell the experiment was working. Let me share this. Though we can't quantify every experience that happens in in PBL, um, we can say that 
the disparities that normally exist between academic achievement, gaps, discipline, referrals, attendance. When we speak to or look at the data with students who are in PBL, and oftentimes those students who have not found success in school, they've had the highest GPA they've ever had. They have the highest attendance that they've ever had. Um, the discipline referrals for students who are in project-based learning compared to their peers who are not are almost non-existent uh, with respect to that. And I want to be clear about discipline referrals in the sense that I'm not talking about the tardies. I'm talking about those serious violations that sometimes we think about the aggressiveness, the fighting, the inappropriate language. Those things don't exist. And part of that, for me, is about project-based learning has offered an opportunity where students feel connected to what is happening in their school. If there is no connection, there is no relationship, you're coming because you have to, you're told to, you're not finding success, you're looking at peers who are, you become extremely resentful of that process, you don't feel like you're connected, you don't think your school believes in you, so I'm going to do what I do best. And oftentimes that is be disruptive um, and get attention from that. We're not seeing that. And I think that that has helped to bridge some of those equity disparities that we have seen with regards to academic achievement, with regards to discipline. And though um, we try to find ways to measure engagement in a meaningful way, when you ask students in PBL, they answer differently about their learning experience versus students who are taking a much more traditional route. And you know how our previous episode was about that crazy first year of the program? Here's what ninth grade social studies teacher Mike Quaz told me about those kids once they got to 11th grade. Whenever you see any of them in the hallway now that we've been there for three years and, you know, our ninth graders, our first ninth graders are now 11th graders, you know, there's a bond. There's a bond and there's smiles and there's hugs. And there's sometimes a laugh, like, remember when such and such did this and the whole meeting blew up, you know? So, you know, it was, it was a special year. Simon, of course, is one of those kids. And he told me a story that sums it all up. Over the summer, pretty much, I did a, um, a course at Drexel, and it was an industrial design, like, week-long course where we designed and built things. And my mom told me when I was doing it, she was like, this is going to be really hard. They say it's an intensive course. But pretty much when I got there, it seemed really easy to me because the teachers were guiding us through it. And I already knew a lot of the things. And since in PBO, we have to learn almost like double as hard because we're learning with the teachers. I kind of just went through it and just worked hard. And it was it was like light. And I learned a lot, but also it kind of showed me how like PBO is kind of great. To wrap up the series, here's some advice from Cheltenham if you're thinking of trying this in your district. First, here's Superintendent Dr. Marseille. You have to be in love with the methodology and the work and the experience. If it is just another checkoff, with all due respect to the superintendency, I'm sitting in the superintendency, but if it is just I accomplished this during my tenure as a way to think about the next gig, that's not authentic. People are going to see that. So I think there has to be a love, a love for the abundant potential of what a classroom could look like that meets the needs of every single learner. PBL creates that atmosphere. I'm sure there are others. Second, put your money where your mouth is. 
You may not have a, a generous kickstart donation from the Avalon Foundation like we did, but this administrative team set aside dollars and set aside resources specifically to support that work. Avalon Foundation just hyper-accelerated the work for us. Third, sometimes moving slow gets a better outcome. I think we were riddled with challenges as we grew very fast and trying to figure out how do we put the resources in place to support the needs of all the teachers who are really excited about this, who are also fearful and who need that type of a space. So Avalon Foundation provided the opportunity for teachers to have those resources. If it wasn't for that, we'd be in a very different position because we couldn't cater to those professional development needs that teachers want inside the classroom. Was that scary, putting the money into this? No, it wasn't scary at all. What's scary was, where do I find more money? As you grow and you grow and you're finding success, that is the scary part. Putting the investing in something that you really believe in and you have a core group of people who believe in it and subsequently you have a core group of teachers who believe in it as well. I said, it's a win-win in terms of the experience. Now here's the advice that Linsa, the 10th grade chemistry teacher, would give to her past self. I think I would tell myself to um, not get so worked up, I think, about deadlines and about the like the minute school parts you know like I used to just I used to worry a little bit about like oh I didn't create this in the two-week time frame or oh man like our this project is like taking us like 12 weeks when it should have just took 10 and I would just tell myself okay you need to just relax more everything's going to be fine and great like we're going to enjoy this year as much as we can and I think another thing too that we're definitely addressing this year is uh, focusing more on challenging those kids who are at the honors level. Um, Because last year, I know personally for me, like I put that a little bit on the back burner with the honors requirement for chemistry. And it was just kind of like an add in like, oh, we're doing, um, we're all making like a giant periodic table. So honors kids, you're making two pieces of it instead of one, you know, like I, I wish I could go back and spend more time developing the honors curriculum I just want to point out that Linsa's two pieces of advice to herself are to relax more and to do more work, which is a contradiction, but it's also what most teachers tell themselves they're going to do every year. On a similar note, here's ninth grade English teacher Brian Smith. It would just be, you got this, because I think I'm really glad with the choice I've made to join this team, even though in my 18 years of teaching, the past three years have been the most exhausting the most time consuming and you know this job has consumed my life more than it ever has and in my previous years of teaching uh, these past three years have also been the most rewarding think about this all the time now night and day so it's cool to live for a cause we're going to close with the two students i spoke to kayla and simon my advice would be i feel like it's not i want to say more important but it's really important to make a relationship with your students instead of just teaching, like with PBL now, like I have more, I, I, I can say that I, I don't have a favorite teacher in PBL cause I love them so much. Like they're all great to me and they, I have a really good relationship with every single PBL teacher. So I feel like it's better to be in a re- environment where like everyone is like 
in a relationship with everyone and like a better community. So really like really try to make a relationship with your students instead of just trying to teach them. So that's my advice. Yeah. I honestly don't know what I would say except for definitely talk to other PBL teachers because they do a really good job. High Tech High Unboxed is hosted and edited by me, Alec Patton. Our theme music is by Brother Herschel. You can find a link to the full Cheltenham PBL Experiment series in the show notes. Thanks for listening.